G'day and welcome to episode 140 of uh, Green and Gold Rugby Pod Slam. Um, it's not Reg tonight, as you've probably noticed. I'm not weighing on about the Reds. Um, his computer died uh, on us at 9pm this evening, um, RIP. Um, so anyway, you've got me. It's Matt back, Matt Rowley back in the saddle. I'm joined ably uh, by uh, Hugh. How are you, mate? I'm not too bad, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm soldiering on, mate, in, in these... Tr- you know, trying circumstances. And I've also got Ben over there in Perth, mate. How are you? Gaffer's Very mate. well, mate. Very well. How are we all? Yeah, good. Roaring you are after that win. We'll come to that later on. But first, we've got a special guest from uh, the ARU setup. It's Paul Verrill, head coach of the Wallaroos. G'day, Paul. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Look, it's great to have you on. We've been teeing this up for a, for a little while. Um, it's all go for you guys. You're kind of heading into towards the uh, Three Nations for the women uh, towards the end of May. You've announced the squad. It's, it's, it's all gearing up? Yeah, we've, uh, we had uh, from the Nationals last year, we had a squad of about 56 girls that we had in training and on programs. Um, we had ended up in February in Canberra for, with 44 of those girls and um, in a uh, five-day intense camp. Mm-hmm. And we finally cut the squad down to 26. It'll um, have the first uh, steps towards the pathway to Paris as we head to New Zealand for the Tri Nations. Yeah. So, mate, when we when you talk about Tri Nations, there though, it's it's obviously not the probably the normal Tri Nations setup that um, guys in the in the with the men's game uh, would be used to. Um, it's Canada's part of that, right? It is. Yeah. Look, it's the first time it's been played. Um, Realising we haven't played a test since. Um, 2010. Mm-hmm. So uh, the ARU took the took the opportunity when the invitation was there that um, the Wallaroos will go over there and we'll have two two games one one against New Zealand and one against Canada. Um, it should give us a good lead into um, you know how we how we're faring and where we're going to sit when we head to head to Paris for the World Cup. Yeah. So and uh, when's the whole World Cup happening, mate? Uh, World Cup first game kicks off first of August. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be in camp uh, approximately a week before that. Uh, a couple of days training, then we head over there and, and get ready for our first game. Okay. And so you talked about that kind of hiatus uh, since 2010. Um, any particular reason in that? Is it just was it just is it just funding or was it a focus on sevens? What was it? I think it's a little bit of both. And um, yeah, sevens sevens is the um, you know the main driver there at the moment, which. Mm. Um, I think with the Olympics coming up in 2016, it's a pretty big, um, pretty big buzz there, and and it seems to be, um, you know, the first step to to get females into the game of mm. rugby. Yep. Um, hopefully, you know, they get a taste of the sevens, and it might uh, they might want to go into fifteens, so we can grow the game that way. And is there much crossover between the two uh, the two forms of the game, or is it kind of a bit more like is it like men's where it's you know very specialised? Oh, look, I think at the moment you'll, you'll see the, the Sevens girls, Sharni Williams, Shannon Parry, um, Kobe Jane Morgan, and all of Cherry. They've all they've all come through that original 15s World Cup back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a crossover there. I think it'll probably go down the path of the men's as as time goes on with Sevens, and um, you're getting a lot of Oztag girls and Touch girls coming across now, and um, realising that there's a bit of you know, there's an opportunity for them to, to go to the Olympics. Yep. Um, uh, so I think it can only grow, you know, the both sides, sevens and fifteens, the more girls we get playing and playing the game. Right. Hi, Paul. I just thought I would have an answer. It's a 26-person uh, squad. I guess I'll just have a chat about how you, how you come to that. It's a pretty even spread across the, the states. Sort of having a look at there, 10 from New South Wales and, and a few from the rest of the states. How, how you sort of get to that and... And, and the form of the girls, how they, how you sort of choose choose the players for the squad. Yeah, look, I think we're pretty well weighted on on what we saw at the nationals. 
um, knowing that we hadn't had any other competitions, you know, between now and and uh, uh, so I think some of the rugby will kick off in in some of the states for the girls in the next couple of weeks. That we needed to get um, a good core of, of girls and put on some programs and get them ready for the Tri Nations, knowing that uh, it's a big step up from from club and state rugby. Um, yeah, we've got a big, a good mix of girls. Um, you know, we've got 15 new girls that have never played in a test match, so um, that was a driver, um, what we saw down in Canberra when we brought these girls in um, and how they, we had a possible problems game down there. Uh, it's pretty intense, and um, the girls that have finally made this squad uh, to go to New Zealand have, have put the work in and... And, um, you know, that's why they've been given the opportunity of that first uh, step towards Paris. Paul, um, seeing as you haven't played a, a, a test match in so long, I mean, what's your expectation going into the Tri-Nations? Um, um, it it's, must be hard to know where you stand exactly. Oh, look, it does, and I think we've sort of picked some of those girls um, hoping that what we've seen, they've got the ability and, and hopefully they'll step up to that, that level of, of rugby. Um no illusions. I think we come into camp, we train, probably two days travel, and uh, and then play the you know the world champions at New Zealand. So um, look, I, I think it can go either way. Some of these girls have got no fear. They've never played New Zealand. They've never played at that level. Um, they're winners. Winners. They've, you know, a lot of them have come through um, good club competitions here. So um, that could be a, a bonus for us and. Um, I don't think we'll die wondering. I think they're all pretty keen to, to get out and show us uh, what they can do. And, mate, looking ahead to the World Cup, because I know women's rugby is uh, pretty strong up north um, in, in Europe. Uh, it seems to kind of shadow the men's game with the Six Nations there. Um, is, is that still the case, and, and who's the powerhouse up there? Look, I think it's a big big surprise the Six Nations have just finished there and the host host country France have, have won the um, Six Nations I think for the first time since uh, 2005 I think it might be right. um, so they're really focusing you know knowing that they're hosting the the Women's World Cup in August um, and unfortunately for us they're in our pool <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah it's going to be a big challenge for us um, you know they're, they're playing regular competitions um, uh, so yeah look they're uh, probably a little bit more on the front foot than what we are at the moment. Okay. And, mate, a little bit about yourself. So what's been your pathway in rugby and, you know, how have you gotten to the where you are now? No, look, I grew up playing rugby league as a kid. Uh, when, I went to, went, when I went to high school, I had rugby union. Uh, I didn't really know what it was, but I got involved in that. Um, played, played at school, uh, played a little bit after school, had a couple of new reconstructions and... Um, that's what headed me down the path of coaching. So um, my background here is, is I start off in junior coaching in New South Wales Country Rugby Union mm-hmm. um, and then work my way through some of the representative programs. Um, coach the New South Wales Country Cockatoos to win the Australian Rugby Shield right. uh, back in 2008. So um, and through country, I've, I've got the chance to, to do my level three coaching. Um, the ARU have been pretty good. I've, I've had a number of... Um, you know, development uh, sides through them. Um, got into the girls through the Sevens program with the New South Wales Youth Girls mm-hmm. that um, played on the Gold Coast the last two years. Uh, won, a, won that championship in 2013. Um, and then put my hand up for the um, Lollaroos job. So I've, I've had a bit of a fairly wide base, I suppose, juniors, uh, seniors to, to both... Um, Youth, women's, and, and senior women's. So. Okay. And mate, is there any, you know, is there any difference coaching uh, with women uh, versus coaching with men? Oh, look, it's, they're very um, receptive to what you want to. They just lap things up. They just want to learn as much as they can. Um, and um, you tend to to. I tend to take a lot of things for granted. Not only think at times some of the girls have never been um, coached to a high level. Um, they, you tend to find yourself sometimes stepping back a little bit and um, starting at a, a lower base level. Um, right. But they soon, they soon pick up what, what uh, you're trying to get to and um, 
yeah, they uh, they improve immensely. It's very, very enjoyable. Awesome. Well, mate, it's a pretty exciting time. Um, back on the road after, since 2010, and obviously with the World Cup and everything, uh, we wish you well for the year. Okay. No, thanks very much. No, and um, um, do you know if we'll be able to get any vision of it? Have you heard anything about that? Look, I know the game against New Zealand is going to be televised in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um so that should be fine. And the, the World Cup, that'll be streamed live on the uh, Women's World Cup um, IRB website. Oh, brilliant. So you'll be able to, be able to get Fox Sport, I think, last time in 2010, showed a couple of the Australian games. You know, uh, not live, they were delayed. But, um, yeah, there should be some coverage there. So. Brilliant. All right, mate. Well, we look forward to it and, and good luck. Yeah, thanks very much. All right, mate. Thanks good for coming on. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that was great uh, talking to Paul there and uh, to have the girls back on the road is uh, pretty awesome. I must admit, um, I didn't really realise, I guess, with all the focus on the sevens, I just assumed that the women's 15s was happening somewhere in the background, but um, it obviously hadn't been, uh, which was... Uh, unfortunately news to me, but hopefully we'll get a bit of vision of them uh, with the Tri-Nations coming up and then the uh, World Cup later in the year, and and, and good luck to them all. Um, Let's get back, though, to Super Rugby. Uh, Big weekend for for Super Rugby. I can remember at least some of it. It gets a bit sketchy for me uh, after about half-time on Friday night. Um, But let's start there. Hugh, you were obviously pretty much sober as a judge, obviously representing Green and Gold Rugby in the press box. Um, mate, how was the game? Waratahs Rebels ended up thirty-two-eight. Bit of a game of two halves. It was, wasn't it? Um, the first half was a, a bit of a slog, really. I mean, the Waratahs got out to a great start, as they seem to do these days, scoring in the third minute. But uh, it, it was uh, at, at the time I thought it was a real sort of um, slow, messy kind of half. But actually, going back and watching the replay, it was it was pretty good quality. Um, and you got the sense that both teams were really up for the fight, but the Waratahs were probably just getting on top. And in the first 10 minutes of that second half, that was when they really made it count. Uh, try to Peter Beetham and the first try to Israel Folau. And from there, you felt like the Rebels probably got all the wind knocked out of their sails, and that was it for them. Uh, still, I, I think it was a very impressive performance by the Waratahs, considering that it wasn't all going their way. You know, there few few drop balls and... and uh, you know, a Melbourne Rebels team that, that you know, was not offering much on attack, but that were defending pretty well. So to, to come away with five points um, and to only concede eight points uh, on the scoreboard, was, I think I think it was a pretty good effort. Yeah. yeah so my impression from the ground was that, uh, yeah, that in the first half, the, the Rebels' defence was just very, very good. Um, and then the, but in, the, in the second half, though, I, I don't know what the words were from, from Czech, but the, uh, the Tars really stepped up, and I think... One of the key differences there was uh, Kurtley Beale, wasn't it? In the, in the first half, he just he d- didn't really seem to be hitting the line with any speed. In the second half, he was just devastating against the Rebels, really. Um, uh, it seemed to be sort of chalk and cheese. Yeah, I think he's discovered that sort of extra yard or two of pace that he had a few years ago. Mm. And in the meantime, it's looked like he was about to rediscover it. And then sort of various things have, have stood in the way of that. And it looks like now, I mean, on that, especially that uh, last try uh, to Falau where he just, you know, all of a sudden clapped on the speed and beat Scott Fuglistiller on the inside. Um, I think he's, he's warming to that 12 position. His defence was a lot better. Um, and it th- uh, be interesting to see this week uh, how they use him considering they've picked a bit of a different team with not as many attacking stars, so to speak. Mm. And I, I think you picked out as well. I mean, for me at the ground, the guy who just stood out a mile um, was uh, Jacques the Baby Eater Pot Geater. Um, he was just stunning, wasn't he? What a game. Oh, exactly. I mean, the Waratahs have instituted this system where uh, the crowd have to vote on the man of the match via text message. And I think Pot Geater would have won if anyone knew how to spell his name. Um, <laughs> As it was, Kurtley Beale got there, but geez, he's become a real crowd favourite, and I've never seen a bloke get a, such an ovation after being subbed with ten to go. He, uh, he just everything he does, he, he throws himself into it, and I think it's really impressive. And actually, um, in the post-match press conference, Michael Checker said that uh, 
Kane Douglas's play, which has really improved this year, is has a lot to do with having Potgieter around, and apparently Potgieter's sort of unleashed Kane's potential, which is great to see. Yeah, actually, well, if if they're connected, that's that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, you, you can see that in the way that Kane's playing as well. Gaffer, you got anything to add to any of that? Yeah, I, I, I watched the game. And I thought it was a very, it was pretty pretty strange game to watch from an outsider's perspective. I guess mm. the first half, it was you always thought the the Waratahs were on top, but but then you look at the scoreboard, and I think at halftime it was eleven eight, and mm. so it really showed that the Rebels' defence was was really standing up, and or or like you said, the the last pass sort of would go to ground for the for the Tars, and they would miss that opportunity. But but the Rebels, I thought, really hung in there in that first half. Um, and then in the second half, Beatham scored that try, and it pretty much opened it up. But they also they lost Lockie Mitchell uh, to that to that season-ending knee injury, which in, in his fiftieth game, breaking the Rebels uh, Rebels uh, game record, which was real shame. And, and they also lost uh, Toby Smith to the concussion. Um, so uh, Max Lahiv came on. I think it was about in about the twenty-fifth, thirtieth minute. So, and then you also had. Um, uh, was it Roberts? Angus Roberts. He just played a, a shocker, and he got that yellow card. And then I think, I think the Tars scored two tries while he was off the field. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just a. I always thought the Tars were in control, but until that second half, that that's when it opened up, and, and Beale sort of just went to town, picked those gaps, and, and with that speed, he just that he that he's found again. He just burnt straight through the holes, and and he had Falau on his inside, and 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 yeah, it was it was. Very good from the from the Waratahs, I think, in the second half, and and even watching uh, Michael Checker uh, at at half time, I thought that when uh, being Michael Checker, he'd be pretty grumpy, but he he was pretty happy with the performance from the first half, and he did I did he did mention the Rebels were were playing really well, so I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for the Rebels, even though it was a it was a big loss. Um, I think they, they they it still gives them something to to work on with their defence the way it was in the first half before the injuries. Yeah, yeah, I think the, it didn't go the Rebels' way. You could just the bounce of the ball just wasn't with them. It seemed to be falling for the Waratahs, but still their their lack of try scoring ability has been really surprising. I mean, since that first game where I think they put five tries on the Cheetahs, uh, the next two games against the Force and the Crusaders, they only scored one try in each of those games, and it was you know in the 79th minute kind of thing. Um, and again, in the Waratahs game, they only scored one try as well. So I think that's going to be something that has to be worrying Tony McGann. I mean, the defence was always a problem for the Rebels, and they seemed to be able to score tries, not, not easily, but certainly more frequently than other teams. But it seems that's, that, that aspect of their game's dried up. So I think it does, might have a little bit to do with Jason Woodward not having him, because he really lights up their attack. Yeah, and he also had a bit of a metronomic boot uh, last year um, and this year. I mean, I've said it before, I don't mean to... You know, still picking on the guy, but I think Hegarty's still got a way to go. And you know, I think he got uh, he missed missed a conversion and only got one out of two penalty goals. Um, which, you know, considering how tight it was in that first half, those those points would have been very very important. Um, any 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 other players kind of stood out to any of you guys from either side? I think Higgers had a pretty strong game, didn't he? Yeah, he, in, in a losing side, he was good. I mean, Sean McMahon was good for the Rebels. I thought Mitch Inman continues his pretty good form uh, to Marty Ellison. I mean, I think the Rebels were all okay. My last point is just back to the Tars, and Gagger, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. I thought it at half, looking at how it was at half time, I think that was a game that the 2011 2012 Tars might have lost. Mm. You just felt like it wasn't quite, you know, they were coming up against a side that was defending pretty well and. And you know the the passes weren't sticking, that sort of thing. And I think in the past that you know that an old Waratah side, you know, they might have conceded a charge down try early in the second half, or something. You know, would would have uh, sort of bounced against them, and they might have sort of folded in on themselves. But I think this team seems to have a bit more belief to not only win but still get the four tries. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I also thought uh, it was a similar reason why they managed to get within four points of the Brumbies. Um, Whereas I think in the past that would have been a blowout, uh, and they wouldn't have got close. So yeah, I agree. I think there's a um, fair bit of belief there. Um, it'd be good to see some more people at the games, though. I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, did you say the number was around? Was it still underneath seventeen thousand? Yeah, just under seventeen. Uh, the draw's not exactly the task friend this this year. You'd love them to have two straight games at uh, at the SFS, but I don't think they do all season. It's mm. it seems like just when you think. 
we're getting some momentum up. All of a sudden, they're off to South Africa or they're off over the Tasman or they've got to buy. So, a mm. bit of a shame. Yeah, and if it felt a bit more like that. I mean, I was in the non-member stand and it felt pretty full-ish um, over there. Um, you know, both sort of like long halves of the field uh, where, you know, had some uh, crowd in there. It didn't feel like you were totally rattling around. But even so, classically for the SFS, it was the longest drinks queue I've ever seen. Um, I actually, and I walk, as I walked past it, there was somebody, there was a, one of the servers walking up the, the queue saying we only had, they only had light beer and white wine left. <laughs> <laughs> to what was the longest beer queue I'd ever seen. Oh, God. So like I, it wasn't quiet. Oh, I know, exactly. It was absolutely crazy. But um, I think everyone knows that you've got you to have your fill before you get in there, um, which we had a good go at. Anyway, so that uh, was the uh, TARS versus the Rebel on a Friday night. And then we had, um, well, a couple of cracking games on Saturday night. So the first one was the uh, Brumbies, who are hosting the Stormers, um, which was uh, just a, a full-on game. I know, I'm trying to remember, it was, Hugh, was this the one that you saw? This is another one I saw. Had a yeah. bumper weekend of Super Rugby and wasn't it a good one. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I remember you guys talking about this last week, previewing it, and you were running down the Stormers saying they were having a dodgy year. And I remember sitting on the bus, shaking my head, thinking, you idiots, you mugs, the Stormers aren't bad at all. They were a bit unlucky against the Crusaders, and then they came up against, I think it was the Chiefs last week as well, and ran them close as well. Um, this, is a, this is a pretty typical Stormers side. Their attack's not flash, but, geez, you, you're going to have to work hard to score tries. And, and it turned out that was the case, and the Brumbies were probably lucky to, to get away with the chocolates in the end. They played pretty well, but... Uh, if it wasn't for the Stormers kicker Peter Grant having a shocker, then uh, it might have been a very different story. Still a lot, a lot of positives for the Brumbies, though, which was good to see. Mm. Now, yeah, Grant walked away with uh, one out of three penalty goals and only one out of two conversions. Um, so, yeah, with uh, the Stormers walking away with, uh, you know, two tries to the Brumbies. Well, uh, Robbie Coleman scored two, but then there was the uh, penalty try at the end. Um, which was which was ma- magnificent. I haven't seen one of those for a while. No, it was a bit a bit of a questionable one as well. I'm not sure if that scrum was quite close enough to to blow the penalty try, but it was after the siren, so you know, let's get on get on with it. But um, mm. Ben Alexander uh, to to still to play the full 80 minutes in in the tight head spot and to till, still come up with such a powerful push against the South African scrum in the last play to get a penalty try. Well, that was fantastic. He had an absolute barnstormer mm. and uh, was probably well, probably him and Scott Fardy just were head and shoulders above anyone else on the field. So yeah. that was that was great to see. Yeah, no, talking about uh, players, I mean Scott Fardy. My God, he just he's he's just a machine these days, isn't he? He was well, he, he was he was in just about every turnover. Yep, and, and he just taken the piss. He did he did another little flick pass over the, the back of the head, or mm. or sort of uh, uh, you know around the corner that sort of stuff. Um, it's almost like he's sort of got a running bet going with someone as to how far he can push it before you know someone eventually calls him on it. Yeah. But it keeps coming off for him. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, they look they look pretty clinical. Interestingly enough, uh, the the Brumbies actually uh, ran more meters. Uh, well, sorry, ran fewer meters than the Stormers, I should say. So they managed to kind of out South African uh, the South Africans there, and their lineouts are very strong. So they actually managed to win five lineouts against the throw versus one. Uh, f- for the Stormers. Um, just thinking about, uh, so, you know, what other kind of uh, performances uh, stood out to you in, in the in the game here? Oh, well, look, Manny Tamua had another strong game, I thought. Yeah. I, th- I really think he's putting his hand up after his good wallaby form at the end of last season. Hmm. Um, yeah, he was probably the standout in the backs. Robbie Coleman actually was also very good. Those two tries, one yes. he didn't have to do a lot for, but the second one was fantastic. This is the one you're talking about where he chased up. Yeah, chased up the kick and, and sort of made made something out of nothing there. Yeah. I mean, my my Robbie Comer, geez, he's light though. I mean, any time you see him in in any sort of contact, he gets he just seems to get smashed. Mm. And he seems to be roughly the same sort of size and weight as James O'Connor was. But uh, O'Connor always used to seem to make ground in those circumstances. He's got a you know pretty powerful leg drive, and no one could get him down. But Coleman, geez, mm. he, he's sort of at times, looks like the under tens kid playing in the under fourteens. Yeah, although he does still manage. I mean, because of that light weight, he manages to get a, you know, always get around the first tackle. Um, yeah. But when you like you like you say, when he gets scragged, but he, geez, he doesn't half play his heart out, does he? Um, oh, he's, yeah, he's a great great asset to have in that Brumbies team, especially with Henry Spate still out. Mm. The other thing I'll point out from that game, and it sort of, 
I think, well, two things that have flown below, below the radar. Firstly, the Brumbies, because they've won four in a row now without much fanfare mm-hmm. and just seem to be ticking over very strongly in a competition where there really aren't any standouts. Um, and you can see them competing well into the sort of business end. But the second, uh, and that's a sort of corollary to that, the crowd for Saturday night in the Brumbies was only 11,000. And Jeez. they, you know, the Stormers aren't a big draw card team and there's, there's excuses made, but, and the, I could understand that. And the last Waratahs game was a bit under two, but there was a, a big Canberra event on that night. The draw, again, like the Tars, is doing them no favours. But you think, I mean, I think this is one of those sort of, this is, has the hallmarks of another Brumbies dynasty. This is one of their great sides. Mm. And to, to see the stand so empty is, is a little bit disheartening, I think. Yeah. No, it's a, well, a bit of a common bit of a common theme, unfortunately, with some of our, what you would think would be bigger sides. Like I say, I'm not really sure what more you need to do. I mean, the Tars are playing, you know, very, you know, attacking, uh, you know, Beautiful with beautiful rugby to watch, as well as with a lot of you know a lot of verve, and the Brumbies are smashing it. Um, so I'm not really sure what what more you need. Um, well, I just can't help wondering if the Brumbies' style of play influences the crowd a little. I don't think it it makes a massive difference, but they're they're not the Brumbies of 2000. You know that sort of era where it was Gregan and Larkham and and sort of Joe Roth, and mm. it was that razzle dazzle sort of you know groundbreaking footy. This Brumbies team plays that sort of grinding sort of Jake White style and there's a lot of kicking and Jesse Mogg, the amount of times he'd sort of, you'd see him think about a counter-attack and then do the old slow up and put up the up and under. It's, um, you know, it's good to watch when they're on fire but you can see why the the man in the street might not exactly be inspired by the way they play. Well, this was a, this was a game that had 77 kicks in it. Um, 30, 34 from the Brumbies and 33 uh, from the Stormers. So, yeah, there was, there was, there was a fair bit of uh, boot on leather. Um, I think they're, they're getting they're looking more attractive though. I think as the um, season goes on in their attacking play, I think you're starting to see a little bit more Larkham on them. Um, and they've, but, they've they've got uh, Lily Afano to come back this week as well. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's and that's, and that's the other thing about their performance on Saturday, which was impressive. The injury toll that they're currently looking at, which isn't pretty for round four, mm. you know, with key players like Spate and Lily Afano. Kuwadrani was out. Kuradrani was out as well. I mean, he's a big loss. And then, yeah, they're still missing Fotu Alua. Obviously, they're Pocock's down as well. So they're sort of two-thirds of their starting back row. They were down a second row as well. Leon Power was out. So, yeah, plenty of excuses there for the Brumbies. So, just, so to get the points against a good you know, good team like the Stormers, I think, was an impressive effort. Yeah. Anyway, well, and there was some other uh, game on over in the West. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if we want to cover that too much. No, I, 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 I can't uh, keep you waiting any longer, Ben. <laughs> how, good, uh, how good was this game? I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, it, was, it was a bit later on, uh, and I was, uh, shall we say, just a little bit hungover um, from Friday night. So I was like, oh, shall I stay up and watch this? Shall I stay up and watch this? And, geez, I'm glad I did. Um, the Force taking down the reigning double champions, the Chiefs, 18-15 in a nail-biter right to the end. Held them trialless. Mate, how, how good was it? Were you there? I was there. I was in the stand. And, oh, it was, like you said, nail-biting stuff to the, mm. right to the last second. And then, and then right at the end, they, that, there was that penalty and they flipped it wide. And there was, about, there was only two defenders in, in the entire force back like, that weren't in that last ruck. And <laughs> you just saw them pop their head up and they all just gassed it back to their, their positions. And I thought, oh, no, the Chiefs are going to run a... 70 or 60 meter and, and score in the corner or some something and we're going to lose it here mm. but uh no they they held on and oh, there was i'm not sure about crowds you, you're talking about where there was just under seventeen thousand people at, at perth so probably the biggest biggest crowd we've had in in probably three years i think oh wow uh, so it, it was a cheese game there is a massive uh new zealand contingent in perth but still to have that many it was fantastic and and just to see the people's face in the crowd at the end, uh, I'd never seen a crowd that happy, and to and to leave the field that happy, and, and so the, yeah, the guys are going great at the moment, and uh, yeah, we couldn't be happier over in Perth. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and some um, standout performances there. Yeah, well, you can't go past Captain Fantastic, can you? Captain Courageous, Matt Hodgson. Yeah, uh, got another two tries after he uh, he had a chat with us last week and and told us he. He had his uh, one one try per every twenty game, so we, we helped him get a few more this week. Got two tries. <laughs> can I wait? Can I stop you there? I've got a crazy theory to throw out here. A cra- a really crazy one. Considering Ben Mowen's gone from the Wallabies, 
And I know Michael Hooper's in spectacular form and is the incumbent. But isn't Matty Hodgson, in the form he's currently in, a bit of a bolter for Wallaby captain? Real bolter. Yeah, I suggested he'd be a bolter for the... uh... For the squad, definitely, and I sort of. No, nah, you got to be. No, nah, come on, put it, put it on the line, captain. Well, I'd be oh, captain. <laughs> Mate, I'd be, I, I couldn't be happier if he was captain. Absolutely, he, he would be the, the the man for the job if, if you if you needed someone. I think. Um, but, but a few people questioned his age. I think that was the only thing. He's turning thirty three in the next couple of weeks, um, so that was anything that people were questioning. But absolutely, he's in the best form he's he's probably ever been in. I think. Um, and he's leading from the front and, and just proving how good a player he has been for the force over the years and, and, and I guess living in the shadow of, of David Pocock uh, for, for all those years. I will justify it because I don't think it is the most bizarre idea. He is clearly the, the best leader of an Australian team. I mean, bar Ben Moen, you've got to exclude Ben Moen um, because he's sort of pulled out of the race. He, he's clearly the best leader on field. Um, you know, he is in great form and look, I still think... Michael Hooper gets the nod, but if something happens and Hooper is injured or some, you know, other circumstances arise, I think there are a lot worse candidates you could pick as, as a leader. Mm. Yeah, well, he would have to be number two right now with with Liam Hill pulling his hammy on the on the weekend. So yeah. you'd have to be you'd have to be on on Link's list now uh, with with that, especially because, yeah, with, with Gill going down in the form he's in. So uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why he he won't be there in in June. Um, and, and, yeah, definitely it, it could be a left field like, like Ben Moen was this year and sort of looking for someone to stand in with that, that leadership quality and, 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 and someone that the boys want to follow, and, and definitely that, that's Matt Hodgson. Since, uh, since we, when Foley came in and they made him captain, the guys don't speak highly enough of him. He's the first guy to training, and it's the old adage, the first guy there and the, and the last, guy, last guy to go home, and, and he's always there to help the younger guys come through. That's his biggest thing, and... And yeah, he, he, he's a legend of our club, so absolutely. He hasn't ever really got the chance that I think he deserved at the Wallabies under Robbie Deans. Um, so maybe, yeah, he might be in the twilight of his career and he'll get another, another shot at it. Well, I mean, the, the only problem is that if he was playing, he wouldn't leave any tackles for anyone else to make. <laughs> well, yeah, he's sitting number two now. He made another 18 tackles on the weekend, so he's up nearly 80-odd tackles in four games, I think, or five games. So it's something crazy like that. He, yeah. You're just a machine in that, at that breakdown and, and in, in close there. So yeah. um, some of the other guys that impressed, we had um, Kieran Longbottom. I thought he was he was massive in the scrum there up against uh, the Chiefs front row, which which were giving away 40 kilos in the scrum, I think. And, mm. and we only we only lost one scrum in, in the whole match and and, uh, and 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 turned over a couple on their ball um, up against Ben Tamiafuna. And oh, oh, until he went down, I think it was about the, the 70th minute he went down with, or 60th minute he went down with the. Uh, with a head knock and, and got stretched it off, but he, he's been given all the clear, so uh, he, he's, he's right to go. Uh, and also Kyle Godwin, he, he's not getting the flashes of brilliance he was last year, and I think it's because he has, doesn't have to at the moment because he's got people around him who are doing it as well, helping him out. So we have C.S. Evanson and, and also Rosalia who's helping out, but, but his defense was massive. He made 12 tackles, didn't make, miss, miss a beat. And they were and they were dominant tackles. He, he put them to the ground and, and he and he got back up and, and, and went at the ruck, which was all what, what the game was about, disrupting the ruck, the ruck and, and not letting the Chiefs get that, that quick ball that they, they thrive on and, and being able to, to break the line out wide. So it was just a, a great performance by him and, and he will only get better this year. Yeah, I mean it was a really fantastic uh, defensive performance, I thought, from the force. Um, and they also looked dangerous, you know, scoring tries uh, and outscoring the Chiefs, which, you know, I think it's like the first time the Chiefs have been held trialless in Australia since, was it something like 2009 or something like that? 2001. 2000, sorry, 2001. <laughs> I, think, I think it was 13 matches in, in Australia since they haven't been haven't scored a try. So That's good. Yeah. Quite amazing. So, yeah, so, um, well, that's fantastic. What does that mean for uh, the force as far as table? Um, goes because they were nudging around within the, the top six, weren't they? Yeah, well, last at, week after the game they were sitting fifth, um, mm. but then uh, the Bulls got that that win over the Sharks and and the Lions over the uh, the Reds, so they dropped out to seventh, equal That's six. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're just sitting outside the top six there, um, mm. and with the bye this weekend, which I think has probably come at the best time for them. There was a there's a few. Uh, Few niggles and things which which uh, to, to help to, that, that need to, to be addressed with Kieran and I think Peck also went off a bit earlier and, and Hugh McMenamin but he, he's out for about a month now with a, with another he's broken his collarbone so it might be four to six weeks um, he's gone 
but also Albie Matheson, he got suspended as well for a, for a week uh, for his little tap dance on uh, Sam Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uh, he'll miss the bye. He won't be able to play club rugby in the bye, which is a shame. But what a give, shocker, yeah. Yeah, but he'll be ready with uh, Ben Ben McCalman on uh, against the Reds on uh, April sixth. So yeah, we're sitting just outside the top six, and, and yeah, perfectly positioned to to try and push for uh, top of the table sort of season, I guess. Uh, they would be disappointed if they didn't carry on from now on. I think. Fantastic. Well, look, um, unless you've got anything else to say about that one, Hugh, you ready to? Yeah, I do. I've got I've got two things. Firstly, hmm. uh, another bloke going under the radar in this real wallaby chance this year is Angus Cottrell. Mm. I think he's he's really you know, he stepped up in the last he, he sort of came onto the scene last year and is, is continues to improve. And I think dare I say, you know, look he he's competing with guys like Jake Schatz and Ed Quirk, um, for those sort of out sort of outside squad spots in the back row. Mm. Uh, at the moment I, I think he's probably just shading them. Plenty of time to go in the season, but uh, certainly one to look out for. And the other thing is uh, the honey badger. We've got to talk about it because we've been onto him for you know years now, and that's how the way he is. But it seems like the rest of the world's only just caught up. <laughs> and in the last two weeks, it's it's gone viral, so to speak. And even and tonight I was watching the back page on Fox Sports, and and again they showed him. You know, he, and now sort of he's they're all over him. They think he's great. So my, I suppose my question is, I mean, how much longer can we get? get sort of publicity out of him before he starts to become tired and do we have to sort of now use him sparingly uh, fear that he'll wear it out because he's giving great publicity and, and all of a sudden the force games are getting clips on the news solely because of what the Honey Badger says afterwards. Well, I mean, he's got to be, the, he's the hottest property in media surely in Australian rugby at the moment. He's, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, that's yeah, I've never, I've never seen, I mean, rugby's never seen anything like it. No. <laughs> I don't think anyone has. <laughs> well, and it's just what it's just what Aussie rugby really needs, you know, to try and get out of that fausty kind of um you know, it's it's bo- boys who've gone to GPS schools Hugh, uh which is oh, yeah, which is just destroying this destroying yeah. this game. But no, yeah, so it's it's a fantastic, you know, yeah, just a fantastic thing that he adds. Um but you're right, I don't know, you know, how long can it last? I don't know, as long as we don't overdo it. That's the problem I think, you know, with when it was early on, and you can understand why they were doing it, I think every video the AIU put out had the honey badger walking around with a microphone. Uh, and I think that could maybe, you know, kind of kill the, the uh, goose that lays the golden eggs if we did that too much. But I think the odd, you know, after-match interview is not too bad. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the onus is on the force media people. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see him sort of shelled for a few weeks just just because I, I worry that he'll be trotted out every... Mm. Every um, game, and what what began as being a really an interesting sort of oddball personality becomes a sort of a gimmick that we re- we wheel out at the end of the game to to say a few funny lines. Mm. Um, so I hope they kind of keep him keep him in the sheds for a few weeks. Oh, mate, I think the temptation will be too strong. Yeah, obviously, obviously keep him in the sheds, except for that grinning gold rugby interview. Oh, exactly. That we've been requesting. <laughs> well, he's busy. He's busy uh, wedding a line at the moment up up north or or down south, whichever he's decided to do. So, <laughs> trying to chase those uh, those tailors. So, yeah, he's fantastic with force, and I think yeah, I agree. A few people have mentioned this week they're sort of questioning whether it's pretty genuine or if he if he does sort of come up with it on the spot or if he, he rehearses it. But I don't really think it matters. But it's just it's just comedy gold. Most yeah. of the stuff he says. But uh, I, just going back to the seriousness for a bit around what's working for the force and I think what's not there for the Rebels is, you know, both these two teams in a lot of ways, you know, quite similar in a lot of ways in their work ethic around the breakdown. And I think as Matt Hodgson was saying last week, uh, they're, you know, very much work as a team and attack. Um, but I think what the force have got coming together this year, and we talked about this in the preseason, uh, didn't we, Ben, which was, you know, was the curse, of, how was the curse of the ten? going to go and 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 so far they're bucking it nicely and i think you know cs everson's kind of he's he's got a bit more confidence i think in this structure and the way that they're trying to play um than he did before and uh, i think he's making a massive difference and which is you know giving confidence to people around him like uh, razalia um and it's just you know Again, you know, he might—he's not necessarily setting the world alight, but just to have somebody, you know, taking you around the field like he is, I think, is probably the, one of the biggest differences between them and the Rebels at the moment. 
Yeah, I think the big thing is that they all know their role and what what they need to do, and, and they and they go out and do it. That's what CS he he, he knows what he's got to do. He, he, especially on Saturday night, clear the clear the uh, clear it out of your half. Don't give it. Make sure if it, if you're kicking for the line, make sure it goes out. And he, and he's doing that well. Like Hugh mentioned, uh, Angus Cottrell, he 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 he's played uh, number six. Uh, this whole season and then Ben McCowman was out with suspension and he stepped up he moved into number 8 and he just did the job that needed to be done for the guys and I think that's the main thing that Matt Hodgson's all about, he, he's not about mucking around or anything like that, it's just do your job and, and get it done and, and you'll get the result in the end which I think finally they've sort of just got rid of all the, the, the distractions that were around and, and trying to bring in all these different players every year and they've just said, Matt, this is what we're going to do. These are who the players we've got and uh, and we're going to go out there and, and just and just do it in the end. Yeah, no, it was very what good. It, the other thing is, that the, the thing it must be working for them is they've obviously conquered that little mental aspect because the last two games they've held on in those last 10 minutes, you know, against against the odds, against the Highlanders with 13 and against the Chiefs when they were sort of coming at them hard. You know in the last... Seven years. That was those were the games the force was losing and losing in the last minutes by you know two or three points. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's just turned the other way, and they're all of a sudden starting to win them. So I hope it can continue because um, that you know that was as we said the master of the of losing bonus point. So yeah, and that's why I was up there chewing my nails off after they got that turnover because I thought, oh no, it's going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seen it too many series. times. Yeah, exactly. So it was fantastic to get a win, and, and yeah, the, the, just, just seeing the faces of the, uh, of the of the fans as leaving the stands and and everyone. There was oh, I had a chat with somebody who was, oh, we we're in the we're in the top six now, and and, and they were just loving it. So I'm sure just more and more people will end up going to the games and and we'll sort of get some get back some of that following that we've lost over the last few years. Good one. All right, so. Moving on, though, and um, I've got to put on the asbestos gloves to handle this one. The uh, Lions hosting the Reds um, in the second game of their South African odyssey. Uh, and now I want to say at half time it was something like 20 to 3 in favour of the Reds. Um, yep. and, uh, and then the Lions managed to come back to win with a, a try pretty much on the donger, uh, 23 20. So. This game has been marred for controversy, really. Um, I think Nick Mallett, the uh, South African, ex-South African coach, absolutely went ballistic about the ref and said basically at the end of the game he was only refing one side um, and made some massive howlers. Now, Hugh, qualified referee, commentator on these matters um, and obviously impartial when it comes to looking at Reds rugby. Um, What's your take on it? Did you see well, this I wouldn't. I'm not impartial, Matt, because I love Reds rugby, <laughs> and I will favour them in the you know in all scenarios, as you'd know. Yes. But um, look, Stuart Berry, the ref, he did have a shocker. There's no two ways about it. Um, uh, it just it just seemed like nothing was going the Reds' way. In particular, the scrums I thought were particularly bad. I mean, I I I, I don't claim to know too much about scrums, but it was one of those cases where. There'd be there'd be two resets where the where the Lions prop clearly dropped it, um, and then on the th- and the referee would reset the scrum with the Lions feed, and then on the third on the third scrum he'd find something that the Reds would do and penalise the Reds, even though you know I think any ref would have penalised the Lions on two of those occasions. Also, there was a, numerous instances of the Lions props popping up in the scrum. I mean, it just seemed like these were no-brainer calls that were going against the Reds. Um, and you know, obviously, in this, the penalty count of nineteen to four. I mean, no one wants to see that. Mm. Uh, and yes, look, I don't necessarily think a penalty count should always be even, um, but still, even that is um, that is pushing it, uh, pushing it a lot. So, the Reds certainly had uh, the right to feel aggrieved. But that said, I, I think at twenty to three at half time, you've got to put those games away, and. They shut up shop in the second half to a great degree, and they started kicking in the attacking half. Um, you know, Quade Cooper put in a mindless crossfield kick on attack. Mike Harris put in a, a grubber, and it just seemed like they lost. They lost that motivation. They lost the incentive, and of course, they had that door. They left the door ajar for the Lions to come home, yeah. and certainly the ref opened that door further. But um, you know, I, I feel like the Reds should be annoyed, but also at the same time, they had the chance to put the game away. 
and uh, and they didn't do it. So that would only further the annoyance. And uh, Ben, did you see this egregious refereeing display? Did you read it? Did you see it the same way? Well, I, I stumbled in uh, in the house after the Force game, and I turned the TV on, and, and just in time for the game to start, and, and I watched the first half, and and I was I thought the Reds were, were great. Quade Cooper had the ball on the string; he was stepping left and right and, and scoring tries with Willie. I think he had twenty; he racked up all twenty points for the Reds. Mm. So I went to I went to bed after that at half time, thinking, oh, well, the Reds have got this sewn up. It was about one o'clock in the morning. Went to bed. Woke up in the morning. Read the forums, and I couldn't believe what I just read with all this that happened with with the with the refs. So I had to go and watch it again. And you know, I completely agree. He just he just lost the plot in the last last ten minutes there. And, and as Nick Mallard said, he, he he didn't 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 care what the Lions were doing. It was all about the Reds and and just focused on every everything that they did. Mm. So I just, yeah. I just, yeah. I, don't, I think he's he's lost his spot this weekend or, or for the rest of the season. So obviously the uh, the the Sansa uh, ref body weren't, weren't very happy with, uh, with what they saw. And 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 as as uh, Richard Graham pointed out, he without the the uh, the penalty count, I think the Reds really do have something to to be aggrieved about after the way way it panned out in the end. But but yeah, you're twenty to twenty to three up at halftime. You should really go on no matter what. Um, and, and, and get the win in the end anyway. Yeah, I think he ended up getting himself embattled with the Reds. I, I must admit, I, so I sat down knowing, having seen some of the blow-up uh, before I managed to sit down and, and actually watch this. As I was watching it, especially in the first half, I actually thought, you know what, I thought I thought the Reds' ref against the Sharks was worse than this guy um, as it kind of went on. And then, yeah, he, he had a couple of, he had a few shockers, um, especially towards the end. But the, but the, one of the reasons why I didn't think he was quite that but I mean... I actually thought like Jake Schatz just, you know, just basically took the piss um, as far as lying all over every ruck he could he could flop near um, and just kept getting pinged and he just kept doing it. And I think the ref got to a point where he kind of said, all right, that's it. They've crossed a line. But then, you know, he stopped refing um, kind of realistically at that point, I thought. Um, yeah, and we said that last week. We said with the way the Lions play and with that, that, that new 10 who can just kick it from everywhere, that the Reds mm. would have to play smart, and that, especially around that ruck area, and that they would have to... It, it, they would... They would they would sort of attack it at their peril if they were they started infringing. The guy, the guy would just spot the goals and, and they would win. Mm. And and it turns out they sort of got back in contact and then scored that try at the end and they did. So yeah, the Reds have to have to definitely play smarter if in those situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and anyway, so, and some disaster for the Reds there with Liam Gill, obviously badly uh, tweaking the hamstring just as he, I think he's going to boot the ball out um, towards the end of the game. There, and you just saw he went down like he'd been basically like he'd been uh, snipered from the stands. So he's, he's out for a few weeks, which, which is no good. Uh, I think the thing, um, the other kind of bad news is you're watching the Reds and there's something around the midfield that's just not working. So, you know, the number of times you see them passing as they're running sideways. Um, you know, if Mike Harris, if the ball gets to him, that's what he's doing. And it's just the outside backs are getting getting creamed. The only time they seem to make any kind of real distances with these, if when they play sort of some sort of inside ball uh, with Cooper or Cooper stepping his way through the line when, when he does that. Um, but then on the upside, Benny Taps was back, even though he was at 13, which I don't think anyone really thinks is his best position. He had a pretty good game, didn't he, Hugh? Yeah, they still show glimpses of, of the Reds of old, don't they? They just show you enough to keep you interested. And at 20-3, to 3, I thought gee, they might have turned a corner. I mean, Quaid was, was getting on the front foot and looking really good, and Benny Tapps was doing well, and James Slipper was hitting hitting rucks and, oh, he, you know, tracking it up. Jeez, I thought he had a great game. Um, the signs are there, but, you know, now losing Gill and then losing Aiden Torre as well. Um, yeah, you just you just feel like the Reds that that you don't want to say it's their season because the table is actually still really quite clustered and and a few wins will put them right back on track. Mm. But um, you, you've got to say they they need a win. You know, if they don't win this week and the Stormers at home uh, playing the Stormers in, in Brisbane is going to be um, not an easy game at all. No. Uh, if if they don't get the chocolates there, you'd have to think that's almost it for them. Yeah, well, especially the Storms will probably be more acclimatised to Australia at the moment than than the Reds will be. Um, so where that leaves us at the moment, I'm, I'm looking at the table here. And um, in the Aussie Conference, so we've got the Brumbies at the top, uh, 17 points after five games, having played five. 
Then you've got the Tars with 16, the Force 14, Reds with 10, and the Rebels with 6. And so where that puts us in overall standings, uh, Waratah, sorry, Brumbies, sorry, um, uh, second in the comp. Uh, Waratahs are fourth. So we've got two teams there in that top six, although the Force are really tying with the Bulls around uh, six and seven. Then the Reds at 10th, and then the Rebels at 13th. So, um, yeah, we had, uh, I think a bunch of us had um, quite a bit of hope for the Rebels. But um, anyway, they're above the Stormers, so um, how fortunes can change uh, for, for teams. Um, so that pretty much, I mean, there was an, the other... The other game, I, did, I guess I didn't mention the other two games that happened in, in, in the round there. Um, we had the uh, the Blues uh, winning 40-30 uh, to 30 over the Cheetahs. Um, we had the, uh, what was it, the Bulls won 23-19 over the Sharks. And there was a close game, I'm trying to remember, it was the Canes versus the Highlanders, wasn't there, on, on Friday night. Anyone remember roughly what that score was? Uh, yeah, Highlanders got up by... Seven, I think, or close okay. to it. And to really stuff my tipping. Um, all right, so that was pretty much that was last week. Uh, looking ahead to this weekend, so round seven, we've got the Crusaders um, hosting the Hurricanes, uh, five thirty uh, Friday afternoon, and then we've got the Rebels hosting the Brumbies down there uh, in 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 Melbourne. Is this going to be the Rebels coming back, um, Ben? What do you reckon? Uh, I don't think so. I think the Brumbies. As we said before, yeah, Lilia Fano and, and Kuhn Drani will be back, so they'll have a, a few uh, selection headaches with Pat McKay in the form that he is. So you probably expect Lilia Fano to be on the bench, um, and, and Kuhn Drani will just slot straight back in, I would say. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't see the Rebels uh, being able to, to get up. I think as good as their defence is, I, I don't think they can sort of match the Brumby. Well, well. Their, 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 their trouble with the Rebels is they can't score any tries, and I think the Brumbies have a better defence than the Rebels uh, or the, and the Waratahs. So, um, yeah, I don't see it happening, unfortunately, this week. But but I think the Brumbies, yeah, they're, they're just tickling along very nicely, and I think they'll get the get the job done, probably get the bonus point as well, and, and just continue to, uh, to to push for that top two spot. Hugh, would you go with that? I, I would. I, I don't think the Rebels are far away. I, I just... Uh... You know, the foundations of the game are there, but uh, I'm just certainly the Brumbies are, are going to be very tough opposition, so I can't see them winning. But it wouldn't surprise me if they're, if they're in it up until the last 20. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I'd have to go with you guys, and then I think you'd, you'd have to go with the Brumbies on form for that one. Hopefully, though, we'll see um, the Rebels restoke a bit of what they can do. Okay, then we move into Saturday. We've got the Blues hosting the Highlanders in the 5.30 game. And then we've got, ooh, what's a crucial game for the Reds? You'd have to say the Stormers' season's pretty much gone, surely. Um, but for the Reds, if they're going to be in the hunt, you would really think they're going to need to take this one down. Um, up at uh, Fortress Suncorp. Uh, Hugh, what's your, what do you fancy? Obviously, you quite like the Stormers. You reckon they can do it? I reckon they can. Skulk Berger coming back uh, into that team. It's it's a pretty good team. I think the Stormers have, as I said, they've been unlucky. I, I wouldn't be so uh, I wouldn't be so foolish as to rule them out for the season yet because the you know the, the cheaters as well. The South African teams when they go on their road trip early in the year, it can skew their results out a bit because mm. they spend the rest of the year at home or close to it. Um, look, I think the Reds generally have a pretty good record over those South African teams at Suncorp. I'll I'll tip the Reds, but it's only my blind bias towards the Queenslanders that gets me there because I think this will be a very close game and I, I'm tipping the big home crowd at Suncorp might just get them over the line. Mm. Yeah, I'll probably go with you on that. I think, um, I'll tell you what, though, the Reds aren't far from a, from a bit of a nightmare. I think probably they're, they're a Genia or a Cooper injury um, away or suspension away from a complete shocker there because I think with Gill out... He, he had a massive impact for them in, in the game up until when he was injured uh, with turnovers and tackles and whatnot. Um, so, I, yeah, for him to be gone now for a few weeks, that's a toughie. Uh, I'll go with your optimism there, blind optimism, as we both obviously do for the Reds. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's going to be an easy game by any stretch, especially when, like we say, the Stormers are probably more in the time zone than the Reds will be. Um, okay, so that's uh, Saturday. And then Sunday morning, we've got the Bulls hosting the Chiefs. Ooh, nice nice journey for the Chiefs there. Um, uh, that can be a toughie. The Bulls aren't what they used to be. Um, but, uh, well, let's, let's, I, I think 
the Chiefs will probably um, have a good go at bouncing back there. Then we've got the Sharks hosting the Waratahs. Um, the Waratahs are missing Izzy Falau. When was the last time the Waratahs were missing Izzy Falau? I was always missing Izzy Falau before he came, and I think that was it then. <laughs> 2012, I think. I don't think we've missed a game. No. So it's going to be funny to see the Tars without that. It was interesting seeing some of the comment in the papers the last day also about that sort of Bernard Foley trying to convince people that their game doesn't revolve around Izzy. Did you f- swallow any of that? I do, because I don't think it does. Mm. Uh, I think he, in the last few weeks, he's been putting the charity on top of the cake. Um you know, it's it's very good. It's a very nice cherry, and he you know he runs fantastic lines, and he always crops up in support. But I, I think if you take him out, the Waratahs are still a pretty good side. Mm. Well, I think if you can slot Beal at fifteen um, and juggle around the the midfield, maybe with a Rob Horn in there somewhere. Have you um, seen they've they've named the side? Oh, have they? What is it? Um, John Lance is at fifteen. Rob Horn's on a wing. And Beal, Ashley Cooper in the centres. They've dropped a loafer, a loafer to the bench. Um, they've kept the same nine, ten. Uh, Palu's back at eight. Dennis at six. Hooper at seven. With uh, Kane Douglas dropping to the bench, mm-hmm. and Skelton and Potgita uh, forming a good second row combination. Paddy Ryan's also dropped to the bench, and Sakopi Kapu is starting with Ben Robinson in the front row. So he's done pretty much the opposite of what I would have done with the backs. But um, hey, what do I know? Um, from that from that perspective, I guess he feels Bill's doing well at 12. He's going to keep him there. Um, how do you feel about that team? Um, yeah, look, uh, I, th- I don't think it's a bad team. I, I think it's uh, obviously he's doing what I would call a half McGann and resting a few players with a view to the future. Mm. Um, I hope it doesn't work out like McGann's Rebels did, but... Uh, I think the depth is there. I could, I could see him obviously going for a defensive-oriented side, side with Horn coming in and John Lance, both renowned defenders. Look, I'd be, I'd be interested to see, put it that way. I think it's a pretty decent side and they have no excuses not to do well. Okay. And um, Ben, what do you, what's your gut feel on it? Yeah, obviously losing uh, Phil is massive, but obviously the, the Waratahs have, I think, have the depth to not cover him. You can't really cover Israel Phil but I think with what they've got, they'll, they'll be able to still play a way that, that, that will be able to get them the win. It's a big uh, big loss for uh, the Sharks. They've lost uh, Pat Lambie. Uh, he's out for the rest of the season uh, with a uh, torn bicep. So he he won't be there, which he's been sort of the linchpin to some of the way the Sharks have been playing, that, that Jake White style. Um, so I think, it just, I think it just depends on how the, the Rebels sort of – sorry, the, uh, the Waratahs – sort of acclimatised this week to getting over to South Africa and adjusting, uh, which is the big thing with, with the with teams travelling over there. Uh, but if, if they can do that, I think there's no reason they, they can't win. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one and uh, sort of a toss-up. I think maybe the Sharks at home might might get up um, with, with Falau, with, not, with, with the Tars not sort of not... not, not being at the top of the game without Falau, I guess. Mm. Well, yeah, the Sharks aren't at the top of the table uh, for no reason, so it's going yeah. to be it's going to be a tough one. Uh, be interesting to see how the Tiles cope with that. I think it's going to be a tough game from away. Alrighty, guys, I think that's about it. Now, the only other thing that's happened this week, obviously, is that we finally have an NRC. Hooray! How good is that? <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. Um, so there's some interesting things in there. I won't. I mean, there's a uh, post on the website that goes through all the different teams. Um, I think we've got the Perth Spirit back now, haven't we, Ben? Yeah, we do. Yes, Perth Spirit. Um, so yeah, we've got a bit of representation from from a, around the place. Um, a couple of interesting emissions from some a couple of big rugby clubs in in Sydney. What we're hoping to do is get a bit of a special podcast together at some stage where we interview a few people about that and uh, and, and and see how that's going. But it's going to be fascinating to see how that all pulls together between uh, between now and then. Um, I don't think there's much other other news. Was there anything else this week? No, I think I think that was it. Good, I think we've done pretty well, Matt. Look, don't beat yourself up. You certainly weren't as bad as you normally are in the host chair. So, uh. <laughs> thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, you know, just uh, pulling a clutch play out, as the Americans would say. Um, all right, guys. Look, thanks for coming on. 
um, and thanks for thanks for smashing it out. Um, good to chat to you guys, and uh, we'll um, probably be chatting with you now. Hugh, are you actually going to be in the country as of next week? When no, when yeah, I'm, I'm I'm gone for the next five months on on a bit of a sabbatical, but I might have to uh, I might have to um, sort of come in on Skype from uh, the the middle of America somewhere. I can do a, a remote uh, cross. Yeah. And, uh, rugby's big in America. It's taking off there, obviously. I mean, it's good to know that Green and Gold Rugby plays that well that you can just swan off for five months of the year. <laughs> oh, ex- exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm staying, obviously, with Green and Gold Rugby sponsors through the United States and uh, mm-hmm. our, our massive network over there. So uh, it's, it's going to be great. Okay. So And so if people want to, you know, if American uh, podca- uh, you know, rugby aficionados want to get hold of you, they can get hold of you through the site while you're traveling, obviously. Certainly, certainly. Um, my fee is my fee is very modest, um, <laughs> so they can certainly afford me. Yeah, usually liquid and and can be in you know delivered in glasses. Exactly. Uh, yes. Okay. Good. Well, mate. Look, thanks for being on the on the show, and uh, going to miss you while you're away. Um, but then you, you'll have something to download and listen to if we can maybe somehow get another. If you can, well, if you can survive without naughty. me, which frankly doubtful, but we'll we'll see. And good good luck. Good luck. All right, mate, have a good trip. All right, guys, thanks a lot for coming on, and uh, thanks everybody for, for listening or downloading whatever you've done, and um, we'll speak to you next week. See you guys. Yes.